because I don't think that it is. There we go. All right. So, hello everyone. I'm here with Mike. No, not Mike Joe. <laughs> Mike Joe. Tell me how you pronounce your last name. Pillow. Pillow. Like Joe oh, Pillow. That's right. I remember this from uh, from from last year when you explained the uh, the origin of the pillow. Well, I. It would be cultural appropriation, although we are all permeated by Amiga things. <laughs> oh, I, I used Joe Pillow because... But he's listening to me now, I can't. <laughs> so, the first time I went to the show and I registered with my real name and I paid and he sent me the money back. So I, I sent it again with Joe Pillow. And that stuck. So, here we are with Joe Mike, Pillow. You know, Mike. Yeah. Mike Batilano. Yes, yeah. Um, and um, I want to talk about your interview with Jay Miner before we do anything else, because I had no idea that you talked to him. Well, this room actually reminds me of the developers' conferences we had in the 80s and 90s, Amiga developers' conferences. And although Jay Miner was already at some distance he wasn't involved like all the most of the California team wasn't as involved with the Westchester team as initially they were hoping to the Los Gatos team but Jay Miner was still invited as a VIP and at a couple of events I met him and I also remained in touch with him because he had he was running a BBS and we Jay Miner was running a BBS yes and uh, we uh, already we, we had Cloanto and we wrote some software to support the color fonts on his BBS, which mm -hmm. was very innovative at the time. Oh, sure. So you could do with by changing with some control characters, and so that there was a way to, to use multicolored mm -hmm. text in, mm -hmm. in his BBS. Oh, and what what was this running on? Uh, I don't remember. Mm. But this is pre-pre-Amiga, right? No, no, it was Amiga. Oh, it was Amiga. Yes. Okay. I thought it might have been on the Atari 800 or something. I can ask my colleague what what hardware the his BBS was trying. Mm -hmm. So I cannot exclude it was Amiga, but I could say... Do you think it was? Right Probably now, was. I... Uh, he was El Padre in the BBS. And what was the BBS... Uh, Memories. It's, to, well, it's uh, been a couple it. of years. Yes, yes. <laughs> I should have prepared better for this. I didn't know you were going to ask me. So I interviewed him yeah. in 1990 at the, 90, at the Paris Developers Conference. Okay. And it was on an analog recorder, not something fancy like this. Oh, yeah, like the Zoom. And the battery was going down and down and down. And so when you listened to it later, it was like Mickey Mouse at the end. Mm. But... Another friend, uh, Luca, was able to, to, with digital tools, restore. And actually, that's the, the interview that is on Amiga Forever also. Oh, okay. That, that's the one I did in 1990. So oh. we talk a little bit also about computers and society and other topics, not just mm -hmm. Did you get Amiga. the feeling that he was, he was really passionate about what he did? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He was passionate and respected. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Who are some of your competing heroes? Well, you know, I, I grew up when there were a few computer magazines. Yeah, remind and, us where you're from originally. Well, I'm from the northeast of Italy, just where the Alps begin. My mother's German, my father is from Trieste, which is also in the, in the northeast. 
and uh, at the time, without internet, you went to larger towns to see their bookstores. So I used to go to Munich, Germany. They also had Amiga computers at almost half the price compared to Italy. So that's where I found the first Amiga books. When I saw the first Amiga, it was all in Germany. And um, in those years, every month, there was something exciting coming out, being announced in the computer magazines. Mm. So you really, every month there was better sound, color, resolution, everything was exciting. Mm. And a lot of the products by Commodore were exciting. Uh, I started with a PET CBM. Did you have, uh, which model PET did you have? It was an 8032. Okay, so so you didn't have one of the ones with the crazy keyboard. No, that was the 2001. So um, my father's company needed that to do some work, Mm -hmm. but it was just sitting there on a table. It was too precious, too important for me, it was unreachable, but after a few months there was no software. And so I, I wrote the software, and so I learned to program and everything, and it paid for itself. It did what it was supposed to do, but I, I wanted to do like also some games, like you saw every year when the fair, the fair, like the Lunar Park Fair comes in town, and again every year, like the magazines, every month show you some new oh, yeah. computers coming out from this or that company. Every year you see new games coming out. Initially they had these colored screens, and they were actually black and white, and then slowly you had larger bitmaps vector, color, and other things. And I was trying to imitate some of those, but whenever I, I, I finished writing a game, it was so boring. So some people would say, oh, cool, but I, for me it was boring. You were ready I, to move on to the next, next so thing. So I was dreaming in color. I wanted whatever. I, uh, I was lucky to have a big 20 at some point. I exhausted the memory and went back to the pet, mm. and then the Amiga came out. What do you think about the the architecture of the PET versus the VIC-20? I mean, which well, they're, one... They're very similar. Yeah. I mean... Because I, in my mind, I think about the VIC-20 being light years ahead of the PET, but really they weren't chronologically, right? They were they were sold almost concurrently at the beginning, right? Uh, well, the proof for that is that I, already being quite technical, I was programming in a machine language on both, so on the VIC you had better sound of course you could program like the character bitmaps and use that for graphics but the resolution was much smaller Mm -hmm. and I started even if I was fascinated by color for example I realized that my eyes were suffering from it Mm -hmm. from that small resolution Mm -hmm. 80 columns was a luxury 32 kilobytes was a luxury I went back to that Mm -hmm. that was true productivity which if you were like into writing, word processing, or whatever tools, things were responding faster then, right. and they made more of a difference in your life then than they do now. So the PET had 80 column right out of the box. Yes. Okay. The, the 80 32. Yeah. The 40 32 had 40 columns. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, but all of these, the VIC-20, the C64, the PET, CBM, in a way, they were packaged well in in a right time, I think, when, again, I come to these magazines, they were writing stories about similar companies doing similar things and fighting each other. Mm -hmm. Of course, Commodore had in-house also silicon development and manufacturing, but I saw the Amiga as more of a revolutionary 
thing when it came out in 85. Mm -hmm. So that was for me, already with a Commodore imprinting, when the bite cover story came out, I said, that's the one. It was the best hardware, the best software by Commodore, and so for me it was a clear choice. But I had to wait a bit because it came to Europe in 86. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, going back to the bookstores, I was studying C and the Addison Wesley books and the Bantam book. Uh, So So I learned to program in theory before I got on Amiga. And were all these books in English? Were any of them? No, the the C book I had was a German one, and the others were the English ones. Okay. So really, do you think that... I mean, it's amazing to me as an American that you'd be able to parse such a technical book in a language that's not your Oh, no, that's... uh, Well, I had... uh, I was learning English back then in elementary school, and uh, also by the PET CBM, I, I was... I, I really learned well the, there was a machine language book and a basic book but also I had uh, Raito West programming the PET CBM book which mm-hmm. went really down to, down to teach metal. me things that I didn't even know like do sound with the the uh, tape output mm-hmm. or use the keyboard interrupt to do multitasking things yeah. like that yeah. from the Commodore manuals you wouldn't expect you could do that mm-hmm. so Yes. So, what was the what was the first the first thing, the first real thing that you programmed? It was from my father. It was a customer, not customer relationship management. It's a bit too much, but you could attach some information to customers, update that, print labels to do mailings mm-hmm. and and things that were done manually before. And it had to be reasonably fast, uh, not lose data. And so I learned about databases, binary trees, and all these things that came. So whatever you could do with two floppy drives and mm-hmm. printer and, and with that limited memory, I I filled every byte of it. Oh yeah, yeah. So, and for fun, I tried to imitate the arcade games. Mm-hmm. What, what what was the first one that you tried? Well, probably like the snake or the submarine dropping things. Mm-hmm. And then on the VIC-20, I did a, um, like a space invader. Oh, okay. Because there you could notify the, at the pixel level. Right. Now, I know with the Atari, you know, the Atari has player missile graphics. Uh, is you know, a sprite engine. What, what is oh. the, on, on the VIC-20? Right. Well, like, the, you, it was all sort of, it wasn't ASCII, but it was, there well, was no real character generation, first, right? I must confess, I never did. You could use Petsky on the 80 column. Later, I saw that some people really, really used that very, very well, even to do like Space Invader-like things. No, what I used on the VIG-20 to do the Space Invaders game, I you could modify the character font bitmap. So I was modifying the bitmaps of the characters to do the graphics. Oh, okay. Then, so yeah. you could, could you could actually combine characters together to make pictures. Well, you by right. edit you, you put A, B, C and you right. can modify the A. Because you've got it was you, a 16 by 16 basically. Uh, it was more like 5 by 7. Five I don't remember seven. now okay. how much okay. it was. Okay. Then I experimented I mean, budget was tight. I didn't have a C64, but some friends had it and because I, 
first I was streaming in color, but then I also was streaming advanced things like sprites. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, 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 I wanted to try that. I did some things with sprites, but at my friends. And then also on a C16, I remember it had like polyphonic sound. It, mm. They dropped sprites, regrettably. Maybe it was a reason for being incompatible and not successful as it could have been. But mm-hmm. um, So the Plus 4, the 16, and, and all these uh, series... I tried those as well. They had better audio, in my opinion. They had a more advanced basic. Mm-hmm. Right. But in fact, I think that the, uh, the C16 had a, a, a better basic than the C64, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, you could do polyphonic audio and, and many other things, mm-hmm. yes. Now, did you always um, did you always try and code in machine language when you could, or did you...? No, I learned it. I learned with Writer West, I think. So initially, I was doing basic. Mm-hmm. And then I also for to, for doing sound and graphics, it was uh, it could only be done that way. So why is that? Because it was faster. Because oh. I had more control of some lower level things. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. So yeah. I put oh, my, you mean in machine language it was yes, faster? Okay. Okay. Right. So let's move on to um, you know when you when you started with the Amiga, um, how did you get involved? With uh, with you know doing things sort of you know at the professional level on the Amiga. Yes, I think. Sorry, J minus BBS was the mission. I could be wrong. That's okay. Now, That's okay. They keep flashing. So, in uh, 1986, the first software I wrote was. Um, I was into text processing because that's what I also was doing a little bit on the pet. And um, I was experimenting with that, and I was approached by an association, and also by some parents of children which had uh, physical handicaps and also <laughs> blind, and, and um, or some couldn't talk. And the Amiga was a perfect match because at a fraction of the price of existing systems, you could have analog input, speech synthesis, graphics, outputs and so I wrote some software like a communication system where you could use custom-made input hardware done based on the specific special needs like now you see Microsoft did a, the, an Xbox controller where you can put in different oh, yeah. So we were doing something similar with Amiga using the joystick uh, so you inputs. guys were really ahead of the game in terms of accessibility yes but nobody wanted it because it was an Amiga it should have been so. Commodore Canada told me, "Oh, every school in Canada has it." But that, that's not a huge. When you look at the total <laughs> yes. market, that's yeah. But um, I didn't even know. So I. But um, in Europe, it had to be IBM PC compatible, which was a, a problem that even Apple had yeah. back yeah. in its day. Absolutely. So for me, it was a high motivation. Um, and after a while, the software was given out for free. So it had speech synthesis, which I did. So back then, I already could see blind people setting the speech synthesis speed so fast because you, you have, imagine you have a physical handicap, you cannot see. That's one application. And so you want the feedback of what you have been writing. Mm-hmm. Also, comments, options going back to you when you select. And I was surprised by the speed they had set because you could set the speed, the speed of the speech synthesis. And now I, I, I see again a similar thing 
with modern applications, there's people, even developers, who don't have a screen but only use the audio, mm -hmm. and you can. You can maybe you can just parse it at a faster speed through your five or yeah. ten times normal. That's so interesting. Yeah. So, and uh, we use. We did custom hardware and the graphics output, and uh, so it was a fraction. So let's say it was one fifth of the price of what you would pay an Apple II with similar speech synthesis and, and input uh, at the time. Mm -hmm. But so those who had it really appreciated this, both for the technological superiority and for the price. But schools wouldn't they uh, be able to. It. They would not be able to use it. Not in Europe. Yeah. So, but then I, w I wrote a word processor to go back to your question. I, I never wrote games on Amiga. For me, Amiga was, as a user and as a developer, always about productivity. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a word processor, which went well. So it was. And a, what was the name of that? Uh, personal rights okay. in English or C1 text in Italy. Okay. It had a few more features for Italian management of accents mm -hmm. and legal paper and other things. Um, it was fast even on a low-end Amiga, like on a 600. Uh, it was sold as bookware. Mm -hmm. And then came, also as we grew with more developers, personal paint, which was itself the evolution of uh, a fonts editor. Mm. You were able to, to take what you learned with your experience in editing fonts and, and put that into... Yes, and not just me, but at the time, remember, uh, the, the first... If you wanted quality text output, there were the first 24 uh, dot printers, I mean dot matrix yeah. printers, impact mm -hmm. printers, or even 48, I think there was a Fujitsu one which was like that. The best way to have a laser-like quality without the laser price was to download a, fo a font to the printer. Okay. And we could do that. You could decide how the dots would overlap or not overlap when mm -hmm. you were designing the fonts. Mm -hmm. Or some limitations like you cannot fire the same needle twice in a row uh -huh. or things like that. And so it worked well with the word processor, which was text-based. And so then we added color fonts. I had a good relationship with Cara Blom, the California artist who did color fonts and then anime fonts. And so we developed this also together and uh, hair fonts were very used on TV and then Commodore embraced the, form the format as well for Amiga for the color fonts and then out of the color version of the fonts editor came personal paint and in those years uh, deep paint and personal paint but they were precursors even to deep paint they had all a similar interface. They had either on the left or on the right. You could select the, the, the tool. and Sort of what we associate with Photoshop now, right? Yes. Yes. So we were among the first to support uh, AGA and RTG modes. And for that reason, and not only that reason, we were included then in Commodore bundles. And those were good years. Right, right. So you were you were ahead of, of D-Paint in terms of AGA, you know. Yes, briefly. So we had some catch-up play to, to do uh, onion skins, layers, morphing. They had some very good features. But we would work with less memory and with RTG and AGA before they did. I, I remember we had a prototype Picasso two boards, uh, so we, we were 
at Commodore's booth at the shows and um, and then slowly also with David Pleasance and Colin Proudfoot and Jonathan Anderson at Commodore UK mm -hmm. we did the bundles and then also with uh, Commodore Germany. Do you know exactly um, why, I mean, what, what do you think the reason was that you guys were included in the bundle? Would you, were you offering less of a cut than, say, the, the folks at D-Paint were to be? Yes. So, there's two reasons I've been told at the time and later. Okay. Um, one reason, well, it, I wish I was electronic arts. I, I, you, you asked me who were my... The people I admire. Sure, yeah. Chuck Peddle, mm -hmm. who recently passed away. Yes, yeah, just a couple weeks ago. He definitely was a, a person I admired. I was following his uh, Victor Sirius, also, uh, machine, uh, which he did after the pet. And I, I was dreaming about that. It oh, was like a I better version of the pet. Let's pause and talk a little bit about that, because I've never yes. heard of that before. So, well, you are... <laughs> You are asking me. It feels like an exam now. Things like which are more than thirty years away. <laughs> so the Victor series okay. had. Remember, I went back from the Vic Twenty as an early teenage years. I decided that the business series was better for my eyes, for my productivity, and I, for, so it's something that I understood by myself because the small television. The TV output was ruining my eyes, and I just could express myself, create better on the pet. But the Victor series, which was uh, Chuck Pedal's other company he did in the UK, I believe, was offering uh, better dot pre uh, pixel precision graphics, so you could program the pixels better sound. I think you could even do speech synthesis back then. It had so many ad advanced features, but it, it was too expensive. So I, I, I could not afford it. Of oh, but it's one of the things I was reading in the, in the magazine. Yeah, I've never heard about that. Anyway, so, continue. Yeah. So, um, at, uh, Electronic Arts was a company I also was admiring. I remember when we still had compulsory military service, both in Italy and in Germany, and I was thinking, you know, if you had a contract to work abroad, they wouldn't call you. And I was thinking, ah, Electronic Arts could be a nice company, because I had met some people when they came to Europe, and uh, oh, yeah. so I, I was admiring them. Back then. So, um, what was the name of the... Of the Yes, he was a major shareholder and uh, Trip Hawkins? Yeah, Trip Hawkins. Yeah, okay. So he was one of the investors of an Amiga competitor called 3DO. Mm -hmm. yep. And Commodore didn't like that too much. Mm -hmm. So that was one reason. Okay, makes sense. And Electronic Arts made some of its first millions mm -hmm. with those bundles. So mm -hmm. they, it, it was important, like it was good money for us. Yeah. So as an Amiga developer, I saw the best of times, but then also brutal collapse. Yeah. So it was a chain reaction because we had outstanding payments uh, that were owed to us and could have bought a house probably, that's wow. what I always say. So, so when all the distributors closed. So we saw the best and the worst of times. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's why it helps me also relate to the situation now. 
we are not fighting for crumbles like some say or I, I have seen the peaks. It's not comparable to that. I do other software now for a living. So back to the second reason of why we might have replaced the bundle of um, David Pleasance also mentioned They thought they could demand more and that there was no competition. That's and, and, and Commodore didn't want to have a gun pointed to the head, that's what I heard. So there were these two reasons, told by different people, one yeah. at the time, one later. Well, both of those could be true on their own. Yes, yeah. but we also were the first who had AGA and RTG. But we had a very cordial relationship. I remember at DEF CON, it must have been 93, when Personal Paint already was out, I, rem I remember meeting the Deep Paint developers, and I'm still in touch with Lee, and uh, I remember when in the emulation we needed help to do the pressure-sensitive support. She helped. And, uh, so the, 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 we took group photos also with the developer of Brilliance and with Photogenics, and uh, we always met at Amiga events. There was no... no enemies or so. Yeah, yeah. So we were all friends. Well, before it looks like we're getting ready to get started, so I, I can talk to you the rest of the night. Before, before we wrap up, um, what can you tell us about the latest developments in the lawsuit? So, two things. I have to see the, I see the good side of things, mm -hmm. and I see the solution and not the problem problem is something that in part has been ongoing for 15 years. We just inherited it. Some things were never defined well and uh, they needed to be resolved. It was just waiting to happen. Uh, a good thing that happened last year also because of the situation is that Amiga Inc. decided to sell or better the, the shareholders decided to sell. And so I think we are beginning to see more change now, an opportunity now, than again in the past. When did they cooperate in uh, and get the assets from Gateway in 1999, I believe. So now our acquisition company, which has an ugly name for now, and we can have another session just about naming, um, has all those rights. Of course, I still would love to 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 solve also the, the, the legal mess that's, that's here. It's very ugly, it's a shame, especially because we have seen completely different times and um, it's not worth it for, to be in the Amiga for a fight. But I, I see the, I don't see the problem, I see the solution in my head. I see beauty and possibilities and open source and, and making more possible and eliminating some fights which are not good. Mm -hmm. So that's, and I, there's been also a lot of support. Of course, I love the difficult questions too, that's yeah. why I'm here and not yeah. only here. But, yeah. uh, well, so I hope that 2020 can be a, a positive defining year. And 2019 already saw much more change. Mm -hmm. When we spoke one year ago, mm -hmm. I, must, I must mention this, there was no such good microphone. So we had a, a great session <laughs> and it was a few weeks before we signed the acquisition on February 1st. Mm -hmm. I knew some things. Uh, I, I was still hopeful, but until the day we signed, you know, in Chicago they had a polar vortex at the time, February 1st, and the law firm had the office closed, and already there had been delays, and 
and they kept the office open just for us mm. to wow. sign this. So that was February 1st, and we met in January. Yeah, that's right. That's so right. I couldn't say much because there wasn't much to say. Mm -hmm. But now still, I can say this, the acquisition was completed, mm -hmm. But before we can put the things together, we need a solution to the legal case, to the ugly legal case. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Mike. We're going we're gonna to be here all weekend together. Yeah. They're getting ready to start things up here, so we've got to cut this one short. But let's catch up again, and, yeah, sure. and we can go and we, we can we can work through this stuff. Because I, I want to hear, um, you know, I, I want to hear about that in more detail. Thanks for making it for the second year in a row. For you, it was a longer trip. Yeah. For me, from home to the bus to Athlone, it was six hours. Oh, that's that's almost nothing. So. Well, Mike, thank you very much. We'll thank see you, you again soon. Thank you. All right.